Hear me good? Yeah, I hear you fine. All right. Thank you very much for doing this, sir. I will not keep you a minute over 30 minutes. Um, you are perhaps the only guest that I do not need to introduce. Um, you're Michael J. Durant, pilot of uh, UH-60 Blackhawk for the 160th SOAR. And um, you have the patience of a god and a saint to put up with my my email. So <laughs> thank you for that, sir. Um, so because you are so well known and everyone knows your story, I don't want to ask the normal uh, questions that have been uh, gone over a million times. So like I said in our email uh, last week, the one thing that really stuck out to me was you know, aside from just obviously the surrealness of everything that happened, the historical value of it, the military implications of it, it was, it was your mindset while in captivity. And it wasn't what I thought it would be. It wasn't because reading Black Hawk Down and then reading Company of Heroes, it, they're, they're two separate events. And from your point of view, Black Hawk I can't relate to Black Hawk Down because it sounds like it was, it, it reads like it was written by Rambo, right? I mean, it's a great book, but it's, you know, very much so sounds like it was made for a movie, which it was. Your book, I'm 29, I believe you were 32 at the time, but your book is something that I read and I was like, this is what I imagine it would be. This is, I'm like, okay, this sounds like a 32-year-old a guy. This sounds like me going, oh my God, I'm scared shitless. And I could no military experience, obviously, but it's something I could relate to more. But what was most interesting to me, having said all that, was was your mindset during it. And I thought, I mean, I remember the first time I saw that movie at my friend's all-night sleepover in fifth grade. But I remember, like, it stuck out to me then, and I always just, I was like, what would I, like, I, you know, I got scared when I'm in detention. I remember the first time I got detention. I remember, you know, getting yelled at by police in high school and how scared I was. Saying all of this to say, my mindset I thought would have been, stay positive. You know, don't, don't, don't become almost a nihilist. Don't, it's all, it's all over. It's finished. Nothing good can happen from this. Yours was definitely that. And utilizing your steer training from the bearded one, you will show respect. But it was also saying all of this to say this. It was don't don't let hope get you carried away, and that that hit me hard because that was something that I felt like anyone can relate to, and I've been thinking about it lately. And it didn't hit me till last night. What it reminded me of. It's almost like the feeling of falling in love after you've already been in a relationship and gotten your heart stepped on. It was that nervous, like I want it to be true, but don't, don't get your hopes up because it can just crush you. So people listening to this are here to listen to you, not me. And I realize I've been, I've been word vomiting for three minutes. So could you go into that more and, is that something that you ever utilized before that? Just, I mean, again, in steer training and in other operations, or was that something that sort of developed on the fly? And has it been something you've utilized since then in business, with family, with anything? Don't let, don't let the hope get to you. Don't, because it will, and that's not to say be pessimistic, but it's 
don't let the butterflies take you away because really you're just setting yourself up for failure if it doesn't work. Sorry for that tirade. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, it was, they taught us that in survival school and, and I wouldn't say it's the only time I've ever tried to apply it. And, and it, it's really good advice for anybody. You know, if you, if you, if you got your heart set so strongly on something happening and then it doesn't happen, it could be a lot more devastating than if you just said, well, you know, that's a best case scenario. Let's, let's, let's hope that works out, but, but don't like build your plan around it. If you build your plan around something happening and then it doesn't, then the whole plan's gone. But if you build it as a possibility and your, and your overarching strategy involves this as a best case scenario and this is a worst case scenario and the most likely uh, result being somewhere in between, then you're able to handle the situation a little bit better. So, and, and you know, I think the first time I ever consciously thought about it probably was Somalia, but I, I think it had a lasting effect on me. I think, you know, whether it's a business decision or, or whatever, you know, I have my own company now and we'd like to think that every proposal we submit is going to be accepted and we're going to win, but the realities are not going to be. So you, you have to, um, sort of take an appetite suppressant, whatever terminology or phrase you want to use and, and shoot for that realistic target. Uh, and then, you know, I'm not saying don't be hopeful, but mm -hmm. don't plan on the best case result because best case result almost never happens in life. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, very seldom. Yeah. That now there are parallels between you know, you talked about, um, you know, when he would, the doctor would give you aspirin and you were, what was your line? It was, these have about as much as an effect on, on my pain as M&Ms do for a heart attack. Mm. It, it is very, and then when you were being released and the doctor came in and said, Mr. Duran, I'm going to give you morphine and in the book, morphine, yeah. Morph really? <laughs> like, you know, are you shitting me? And so how you described it, you said, you know, it wasn't even, it was everything finally released, you know, all the, all the bones, the, the, the top muscles and tendons released, but then there was also a parallel release when you said, um, when you were on the gurney and you had already been back in us, um, I guess you were at the UN compound, but you're surrounded by you, you were freed. And you said at some point you almost you almost sat up and you started to have a panic attack because you were surrounded by these physicians. You're surrounded by your comrades. You were, you know, on a hefty dose of morphine and it started to, again, almost that hope you, Oh my God. Oh my God. Is it like this? Am I going to wake up? Am I going to, and you said you, you grabbed the sides of the gurney and it was cold steel and cold American steel. This is real. This is real. And you said you relaxed. Was there, obviously there was, as you talked about, there's obviously lasting traumatic effects, but I would imagine, or was there an acute, did that happen more than once over the coming days? Like, this can't be real, This I'm finally out? Or was that more of a, just kind of all a shock and blur? Yeah, you know, I can't remember any other distinct moments where that happened, but, you know, I mean, it still happens in life. You know, you wonder, is this just some elaborate dream that I'm in the middle of or, or yeah. you know, for me now it's, you know, almost 30 years. And yeah. even thinking about this, it, it is surreal because yeah. my life is so different now. And, and it's, 
you know, you can't even compare the two. Yeah. And it, it becomes sometimes uh, I question even my own memories because it, it just seems so extreme that it's hard to, for even me to relate. So I can't, I, I can't imagine. And I've always said that about other POWs, you know, like, you know, I was in, in captivity for 11 days and you have, you've got guys that were in captivity in Vietnam for seven years, 10 years. And, and, you know, for the same reasons, I can't relate to that. I couldn't relate to it then. I can't relate to it now. So it's very difficult to actually understand the psychology and the mentality of, of that experience. So even for me having experienced it myself, because so much time has gone by. Mm. Uh, but I, you know, there's always that, you know, is my mind playing tricks on me? Is this real or am I imagining this? Yeah. You know, because there, there are things that your, your mind can do, a healthy mind can yeah. do to help you deal with stressful situations or challenging situations. And, and I think it's, it's natural in human nature to question even reality sometimes, yeah. uh, you know, as, as, as long as you don't do it too, too often or too much. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to go off the deep end, wander into the woods and never come back. Right. I, Kind of on, I guess, completely unrelated to to your experience. But on on that note, um, do you ever have you ever read any Alan Watts? I have not. He passed away in 1972. He was he's just a philosopher. Um, but his whole thing was questioning reality, and is it just a dream? And yeah, you know, it it kind of depends on who you bring that up with. Because some people look at you like you know your head's not screwed on too tight, but mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, it's one thing he talked about. He said, if, if you were God, what would you do if you got bored? It's like, you would probably dream any dream you could dream. He's like, in the first night, say eight hours is 80 years, because what would you do? You'd have unlimited pleasure. And you'd probably do that for a couple months, 80, 80 years a night. And he said, as time went on, you would start to do more and more challenges, you know, rescuing princesses from dragons, um, making huge explosions or even maybe just being a beautiful artist. And he said, uh, and then he said like children daring each other to go farther and farther out, you know, on the playground or go out farther on the branch. Mm -hmm. He said, eventually you would, you would have a dream where you forgot that you were dreaming, that it wasn't a, that there was a suspension of your powers so that you didn't even know you were dreaming. And he goes, and eventually you would be where you are right now. And that's, that's what would be the dream because because no matter what the story was when you woke up it would be so fantastic if you've never read alan watts you should read some alan watts i think you would enjoy it he's a he's a trip and a half but um so on it's something i also didn't expect while reading your book is that there are parts of it that are really really funny your description of Ferimbi, dude, I did not expect to be laughing. <laughs> well, I didn't expect to be laughing in captivity, which I yeah. did do. Yeah. It's, and that's, the, that's, that's really a big part of why I wrote the book. I wrote the book yeah. for two reasons. Well, maybe three reasons. As you alluded to in the intro, it is a different story. You know, Black Heart Down ends and then my story begins. And that's really, and it was untold. So that was one reason. Another reason was, you know, I serve with amazing people that I didn't feel their stories might ever be told. And, and I thought it needed to be. And that's why the title is what the title is, because, you know, some of those guys stayed along, stayed, stayed in that same unit for 
20 years after I left. And the, the things that they've been involved in is just it's off the chart. It's incomprehensible for the average American, I think. Mm. And this was just a small attempt to, to try to bring some of that to light. Uh, and then um, you know, the third reason was to uh, for you know healing purposes, I guess you would say. You know, th- there was a lot of uh, psychological impact of this on me, and I think that's true for a lot of people who are there. Uh, some openly obvious, some not. But you know, it's hard to experience something like that and not be affected by it emotionally or psychologically. And and writing the book was sort of like getting it all out there, right? It, it was, look, guys, you know, I'm a human. I'm not perfect. This is what I did. This is why I did it. This is how it turned out. And it was all for the best of intentions. But uh, in the end, it was a crap situation yeah. with a crap outcome, uh, even though everybody involved that I, that I personally interfaced with did an amazing job at everything they did. So, you know, there was a – it was, it was a uh, – huge thing to get off my chest and Mm -hmm. and uh i'm really glad i did it. it's a little bit controversial you you know when i first found out about the unit it was still what we call a black unit meaning nobody even knew it existed you weren't supposed to talk about it we went on deployments you couldn't take pictures you couldn't know anybody where you went i mean it was it was that kind of an organization and then as it got bigger it got a little bit more exposed and and it became uh, more open, but the one part that never got exposed and still is not today is really, you know, the operational side. What's really going on operationally in the organization? So when you when you write about an operation, it's pretty sensitive, and it's and it can uh, it can uh, burn bridges. It can put you on the outside. But I felt okay doing it for for a couple of reasons. One is I waited ten years, so. Yeah. You know, the operational significance of something 10 years later is, is almost nothing. Hmm. And then Black Hawk Down had already been done. The movie had already come out. And I thought, look, I mean, there's nothing else I'm going to talk about here that's not already been, you know, disclosed publicly. And, and, and it, was, uh, it was accepted, and I've never had any pushback whatsoever about doing it. But, um, you know, initially when you first start thinking about it, you, you wonder, how is it going to be received? Are people going to be upset with me for doing this and in the end i don't i don't think anybody was or no one's ever said anything about it and it's it's actually probably been a good recruiting tool for the unit because a lot of people have read the book and they're they're you know they're envisioning themselves doing the same thing and i gotta tell you it's amazing stuff it really is i mean it's the stuff when you're a a young person like i was you dream about you know you just could i be that person you know and then all of a sudden you're doing it and uh you know it, it, it absolutely did not disappoint for me uh, you know, is it the same today? I can't say, you know, I know it's bigger. I know, uh, you know, there's some good and there's probably some, unfortunately, that's not as good as it was when I was there, but uh, it's still an amazing place. And I'm, uh, I'm just honored to have uh, served there and serve with the people I served with. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of felt stupid while listening to your book, because I realized, because you called them the people you, in, the customers, correct? Right. Like, yeah. And I thought about it and I was like, I was like, of course, I don't know, I felt so stupid. I was like, of course, like, if you're going to have these elite of the elite Delta Force dev grew, I was like, of course, there's going to be an insertion team that is the elite of the elite. And as someone that likes to read about all this stuff, I kind of felt stupid not knowing about it. But um, yeah, it's, 
when talking about um, Ferimbi, it was just like, I don't know. It was, it was, there was definitely almost like a, a James Bond-esque feel. It was, you know, giving Ferimbi hot sauce. Yeah. <laughs> and he'd chug it or, or giving, you know, Ferimbi winks at you and you, you give him your, uh, your cut of cot. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just, as you're talking about, it's just, it, it almost, it's, it was like a satirical version of almost like, um, I've never watched it, but what I imagine like House of Cards is like, you know, it's all about, it's all about favors and who you know and hands you shake. But it's here, I'm just imagining you, you know, you know, bruised up, bloody, and you're scheming. You're like, all right, I gave Fermi the hot sauce. I gave him his cot. You're like, I gave him a smile, but not too much. I need to play this, I need to play this angle well. And it's, yeah. And then I lost it when you said, you, you know, you got to the compound and you're like, Ferimbi, <laughs> wearing a Viva ID shirt, <laughs> pulls out UN credentials and you're like, I'm just a babe in the woods. You're like, I have no idea what's going on. Man, I, I, I hope it was meant to be funny because I laughed my ass off at that part. <laughs> it, it's, it's actually sad when you think about it that, you know, the guy that he's not the number one guy, but he's top five that yeah. we're after has the audacity to walk into the compound or at least get right up to it with a FIFA general Adid yeah. shirt on. And he's got yeah. credentials, you know I mean? It, 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 the point of bringing that up with not only you know, just that it is bizarre and, and yeah. humorous is, is how difficult these complex scenarios that we're in Afghanistan is the same. Yeah. Iraq is the same. You just don't know who's who mm. you don't, you know, it's just a uh, war is not the way war used to be. And yeah. it's, it's, it's harder now. I mean, it, you know, is it, is it World War I scale? No. But it's in terms of, you know, the complexity of it and the challenges and figuring out how the hell do you prosecute this thing? It's, it's not quite as straightforward as just lobbing bombs over the yeah. forward line of troops. You know, it's, yeah. it's a very, very uh, complex situation. And this, and Somalia really started the sort of transition of this new phase. You know, I, I, you could argue Panama was somewhat the same way, but I think the real shift came with Somalia and the subsequent uh, action since. Yeah, yeah, because it's, you know, it, World War II was really just who can produce more bombs, mm -hmm. who can, intelligence, obviously, but, you know, there are their cities, here are the maps, let's send over 10,000 B-17s, you know, Curtis LeMay used to say, one will always get through. And it was just, but it's not that way anymore. It's not, you know, it's not armies under flags with, with uniforms. It's, I mean, like, like in Black Hawk Down, they talked about it's, you know, guys surrounding themselves with women and children. What do you do? Mm -hmm. You know, and who is, who do you capture to, to win hearts and minds? Who do you shoot? Who, who is the enemy today? That's an ally tomorrow. Or, I mean, look at uh, Osama bin Laden and the Mujahideen, you know, Reagan revered them as freedom fighters. He was on the front page of the New York Times. You know, and then it's, you know, we're all cheering in the streets when we go and get him in 2011. It's, yeah, it's, it's insanely difficult. And then, yeah, it's scattered, in, scattered amongst it is, is Ferimbi, chugging hot sauce and drinking, <laughs> drinking goat's milk. And how many kids do you have? 14? Yeah. You have 14 kids? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um yeah, that 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 just blew my mind. And um there's there's another line towards the end of it when you were getting on the plane 
and everyone was doing a toast with the um, the whiskey. And it was it was a line that I had never really thought of. Again, having never served in the military, and you know, I'm a I'm an educated, at least I would like to think, an educated male and in a middle class family in the United States of America in, in 2020. How much luckier can you get? But you said, you know, the only thing I had left from all of this was this beret. And he said, and something that I had always taken for granted, my freedom. And I just thought about that. And I was like, yeah, like, what, what would make you appreciate just anything more than, than not being free? I mean, it, it sounds like a simple point, but it's like, oh, wow. It's not like I need a Lamborghini to be happy. I need a smoking hot wife. I need, you know, a billion dollars. It was, you know, for me, I, I need some cotton hot sauce. It's, oh, wow. Like I'm free. I thought that was a very powerful line. Um, you know, I, I got you. Don't worry. I got a timer going. I got nine more minutes. Um, so I want to ask you about, I don't know if you ever watched any of or listened to any of the Joe Rogan experience podcast. He had on a, uh, a Navy commander, uh, a pilot named Commander David Fravor, who is most well known for his, he and his, I guess, squadron, they were dispatched over Los Angeles on 9-11. In 2004, off the USS Nimitz, it's, he, he captured with his, the camera on his fighter jet, what is the Pentagon has now in, I think, the last two weeks released, said it was a UFO. Not going down into UFOs. The point is, so Joe Rogan was talking to him. He said, what's the first thing you saw? Because he described it as, he said, an SR-71 Blackbird from the height of a fighter jet takes about 60 seconds to go past you at full speed over the horizon. He said, this one, this one over the horizon in, I think, 0.8 seconds. He did the math. He was like, it was like Mach 250. And you mean that the X-15 went Mach 7. But anyway, so Joe Rogan asked him, he's like, what, what did you think when you saw that? What's the first thing you thought, you know? oh my God, alien contact, whatever. And he said, no, man, I looked at it and I was like, boy, I would like to fly that thing. Yeah, yeah. He's like, working that program. Exactly. Yeah. He was yeah. like, yeah. he was like, God, he was like, if that's the Chinese, they're so lucky. He's like, yeah. if that's some Area 51 program. He's like, I got to get in on that. Yeah. So what, well, what I thought about just you know, looking into Blackhawks and a little bit out of my price range, but MH60s and, or UH60s and, and then the, the supposed the, the Stealth Hawk the one of one of two helicopters that inserted uh, SEAL Team Six during Operation Neptune Spear to go kill Bin Laden, and one of them obviously the the tail hit the wall and went down. But I was looking at that and I thought about you, and I thought because I saw someone comment, you know, it's like this is Black Hawk down all over again. I thought like, well, no, because it wasn't shot down. But then it got me thinking of you, and it made me think of Commander Fravor, and I was like. I wonder if Mike Durant saw this. And I wonder if the first thing he thought is like, man, what would it be like to fly one of those? Is that, is that something that's ever crossed your mind? So, yeah, actually, when I first saw it, I did not know about the project. And I, I, people asked me about it. I said, that's not a Blackhawk. Because, you know, you, the parts were just not Blackhawk looking. Sure. Uh, now I know the real story. Honestly, I don't know what is, I know what's in the public domain. I don't know what's okay to talk about and what's okay not okay. to talk about. Okay. But, um, you know, to me though, I, I honestly think the decision to use those aircraft was, was, 
not a good decision because they really weren't proven, and that's what led to the crash. And that, okay. I'm, I'm armchair quarterbacking. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that I think whoever made the call to use those was accepting a lot of risk for simply a little bit of, of noise reduction because mm. that's primarily what you were looking at there is, is noise reduction. And when there's a whole other armada of aircraft involved in the mission, I mean, how significant is putting these two, I'll call them prototype unproven platforms right at the heart of the mission. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't agree, but I wasn't there. Yeah. I don't know what the, you know, I don't know what the catalyst was to say, let's yeah. use them. But yeah. uh, you know, obviously it didn't go so great. Uh, and we recovered from it, fortunately, because of good planning and good yeah. execution all around. Yeah. Yeah. It almost seems like Murphy's law. It's like, let me get this straight. We're going into Pakistan to take down the number one most wanted man in the world who we've spent $5 trillion over a decade to try to get. It's like, you almost, it's like, stay with what it's proven. Right. And right. No, let's throw in the new sexy helicopter. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Some, some general wanted to get that thing some notoriety. Um, and then the other other question I had is um, more so just your thoughts on it because it kind of just looks alien about the uh, the SB one Defiant, the Sikorsky Boeing Defiant. What do you think of that thing? It's got the rotor on the or the propeller on the back and push. That thing looks insane. Yeah, we've uh, you know we tried that before. There was a, actually a Vietnam era helicopter that had that pusher prop on the tail. There's probably been others, but uh, the uh, you know I. I I'm a little bit skeptical again. I know we need more speed. I know we need some capabilities that the current generation of helicopters do not provide. But I, I am always uh, sort of a very uh, practical thinker and, and understanding that if the operational cost of these platforms is what historically every other new platform's operational cost turns into you know i mean i remember when i when i went to flight school and i got the blackhawk transition yeah. and, and i love blackhawks if anybody from lockheed or sikorsky's watching don't yeah don't don't uh don't hate this but yeah. you know we were told that you could do all the maintenance on the aircraft with a standard mechanics toolbox right well if you look at what it takes to maintain a blackhawk today it's not a standard mechanics toolbox yeah and, and the operational cost is orders of magnitude more than what anyone ever thought it would be. So yeah. now we're building this new generation of aircraft that I know the Army's focused on this, and I know I'm, what I'm saying is blatantly obvious to everyone on the program, but I, I'm just saying I'm skeptical. Yeah. We're gonna be able to build and field something that we can afford to fly. And yeah. if we can't afford to fly it, then we're not gonna be able to fly it and use it very well because you just have to have operational time. It's, it goes back to our previous discussion. We didn't have, that much time on those birds and we didn't really vet them and, and ring them out. So we understood, you know, all the little nuances of how they perform in various situations. I'm speculating, but yeah, I'm probably right. Yeah. Uh, and now we're going to do it again, but we're going to be buying aircraft that potentially cost so much that we can't really fly them all that much. And you know, that people don't realize the army has the largest air force in the world. It's, we have more aircraft than the Air Force. And we have more aircraft than all the other services combined. I didn't know so that. We actually have more boats than all the other services combined. Jesus. The Army's gigantic. So when you think about having to field the number of platforms that we have to field and the cost of operating those platforms and then keeping everybody proficient to a 
to actually utilize those capabilities, that's where I'm a little bit skeptical. And I know we can't fly Blackhawks forever. I, I know we can't, Chinooks either. Uh, but I, I just hope we're going in with the realization that um, it's going to cost a lot more than we think it's going to cost. And when and we can't afford to fly the aircraft, we don't have a capability. And it's all yeah. about capability. Yeah. And that's why that's why we do this stuff. So yeah. we have a capability. I mean, we already have aircraft in inventory that are so expensive that we hardly fly them at all. And and you know, proficiency suffers. And then when you need them, you don't have what you think you have. Yeah, I mean, it's but. On the technical side, it's kind of cool. I mean, it's, yeah. you know. It's cool. I thought I was going to get to fly it. Actually, a, a guy, a friend of mine in Sikorsky, who was arranging a quick test flight, and then they crashed it. Um, crash is a harsh word. It, it had a hard landing, I guess I would say. And, of course, at that point, the insurance people are all, yeah. you know, putting the kibosh to uh, letting anybody in the cockpit. So my opportunity to fly it went away. But, uh, yeah anyone that flies anything when you see something new and different and interesting first thought is yeah i'd like to get that thing a, yeah. a, a run around the block you know yeah. just i like to whip around in that yeah thing. yeah just yeah. say you've been there done that yeah yeah you said they can't fly blackhawks forever but i was just thinking man the b52 <laughs> you right. know they want to keep that thing going till what i think they said 2050 it's gonna yeah. be 100 years old when they retire it yeah, they did a midlife upgrade after 50 years in service. Yeah, yeah and it's still trucking. I mean, yeah. I guess ultimately, yeah, I saw someone someone comment about it, and they're like, I mean, they're like, it's a massive cargo bay with eight engines. They're like, how much more complex do you need to get, you know, from dumb bombs to it's got rotary launchers with stealth cruise missiles. They're like, you got to load it up. I am, I've used, I've used my 30 minutes, and I promised you I would not go a minute over because I know you're a very busy man. Um Thank you, Michael J. Durant, for doing my podcast. Um, and I have to ask, is there any way I can get you to say fucking Irene? <laughs> so I'm pretty sure I said it, first of all. I'd, I'd, and actually, if, if you're going to have a line in a movie, that's a pretty darn good one to have. That's an right? awesome line. Yeah. So and to me, it really underscores the feeling that you have when you're about to launch, because yeah. that's the code word that we're launching. Yeah. Right. And it, it, it says, it says it all fucking yeah. Irene. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you just made my year, man. Michael Durant. Thank you so much for doing, dude. You're the, you're, you're the coolest guy I've talked to. Thank you so much, man. You just made my year. I'm so right. excited. I'm about to send this to every friend I have. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you for your service. And thank you for creating a country as safe as ours that allow, Men like you serving to allow boys like me to live the carefree life that I do. Thank you, sir. Thank All you right, have a great day. Take you care. Too. Thank you, sir. Yeah.